0: Welcome back to She is Becoming. We are your favorite podcast, bringing you topics from God's word with a multi-generational perspective. You can find our episodes on all the major podcast platforms and on the Minnesota Grace Church app and website. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at She is Becoming Podcast because we do super awesome giveaways and we do prayer requests every week. Well, I am your co-host Delaney and I am here in the studio with
1: my co-host Bev. Good morning, Delaney. It's great to see you. Great to see you. It's an exciting day here. We have a guest. and I always love when we have a guest, especially mm-hmm. this guest. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to introduce to you Ashley. She's our special guest who frequented our podcast a few times before. She's a wonderful guest and very knowledgeable. And we should and you should follow her on Instagram. What's for your, sure. What's your Instagram handle? At
2: Ashley Kinsel, A-S-H-L-E-Y-K-I-N-T-Z-E-L. Okay. Awesome. Be, be sure awesome to do things. that because she has good, good Truly. resources Truly. on
1: there. She uses media for the glory of God. Amen. She has a passion for God's word. She engages the culture and not afraid of the culture. She has a hunger for God's truth. Um, that really makes her the perfect guest for this topic that we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into our topic, and Delaney will introduce that in just a minute, Ashley, we like to ask our guest... Our signature question: What attribute of God has been impacting your life lately? Yeah, I love that question,
2: and without a doubt, it has just been His sufficiency. Uh, his His sufficiency in providing financially, His sufficiency in the word that He's given. Uh, I am I am someone who I think I've shared before is wired for works, and so I can be very I can do it myself. And so, trusting in the sufficiency of God in all things, there is tremendous joy and peace in that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's it's something
1: we have to learn for sure it's a muscle we have to flex right right because it's so easy to slip into yep. that doing mentality yeah yeah i it's, understand it's that something we got to
0: die to i feel that um well let's just get into it we've we've all heard this word thrown around a, around a lot, which is deconstruction. Um, Especially in the last few years, I feel like this word has just become really trendy. I mean, if you look up on Instagram, hashtag deconstruction, you're going to find a myriad of really crazy things. And typically we hear it um, in the context of when a follower of Christ leaves the church or leaves the faith. Um, But a really good definition of deconstruction is that Deconstruction is a critical dismantling of a person's understanding of what it means to be an evangelical Christian. And so deconstruction is really describing this process of breaking down all the aspects of your faith and either reconverting or departing from the faith just altogether. Deconstruction is also used with words like ex-evangelical or ex-evangelical. You can also look up that hashtag. That's interesting. Um, hashtag church to uh, progressive Christianity and religious or spiritual trauma. And so these thoughts and ideas um, of deconstruction, ex-evangelical, progressive Christianity all have really major implications. And in my rabbit hole of research that I did, um, deconstruction was often coupled with giving God they them pronouns Mm -hmm. uh, rejecting that there is a hell or um, that there's any form of of judgment Mm -hmm. renaming Jesus as queer which was really hard to read honestly Um, sex positivity there's this whole like there's nothing wrong with you um, theology your doctrine is abusive and that it's this dismissing of God and only believing in Jesus and then there's a major attack on the Bible's narrative. Which Jesus
1: Right, they're, Not they're, the biblical Jesus.
0: Well, yeah. Well, they don't think they're the same person, which is, which is part of the problem. Um, and so this is just a really huge cultural movement. And so we're really excited that you're here, Ashley, because I've heard you talk about this and <laughs> you're the one
2: to explain this to us today. This is, this is my, one of my soapboxes right now.
1: I love it. So let's just start with the obvious first question. What is Christian deconstruction? Delaney started us down that path. And how does this differ from deconstruction theory? Yeah, so I think, Delaney, you did a, a great job defining that up top. I think the only
2: thing I would amend is evangelical Christianity, because the more that I dive into evangelicalism, mm-hmm. and I look at Barna's research on who is considered an evangelical, we're including people who are of um, the traditional Catholic faith that reject Jesus Christ as as Messiah. Um, we're including people who say, yeah, I might go to church maybe once a month. We're including people who actually don't actually, actually don't actually, uh, <laughs> even hold a, a biblical worldview. So, I, I would not so that definition those, is not accurate well I wouldn't see evangelicals and Christians mm-hmm. as being synonymous anymore it used right. to be it used to be a really fair right. definition um, but what we know of biblical Christianity and what we know of American evangelicalism mm-hmm. there's such a wide chasm between the two now so um, I think what you said it was really charitable that Christian deconstruction is the process of questioning doubting examining disassembling uh, previously believed aspects of the Christian faith and um, which is really interesting, then, when you look at deconstruction theory. I love that we're going to talk about this, because I don't think people know that that there's a theory that predates this movement. Um, and there are, the two of them are, are similar in that they're both processes for questioning the status quo. Like, is what I believe mm-hmm. really true? Um, where Christian deconstruction is typically rooted in a desire to examine previously held beliefs for the purpose of arriving at what's true versus you know maybe just what we were taught or our, our Christian traditions you'll hear that phrase yeah. a lot mm-hmm. um, deconstruction theory is more concerned with questioning rather than what is the truth behind the question which hmm. is a, a bit bizarre um, it's actually rooted in the belief that truth is different for everyone imagine that yeah yeah never heard that before
1: Yeah. So we we look at at you coming to the point of your truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what the theory is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your truth is your truth. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) And so you have um, uh, Jacques Derrida, who was a a 1900s French philosopher, and and he is the one who's credited with deconstruction theory and also just being a a father of postmodernity. And and that's what we're seeing. These are all postmodern concepts. Mm -hmm. Um, So Derrida developed. The deconstruction theory as a response to um, structuralist ideas, and and the two ideas, and I'm going to do a flyover of this. So I highly recommend that you guys who are listening go and dig into this for yourself, because I'm going to be really basic in my in my definitions here. But Derrida really attacked two central ideas. Uh, the first being logocentrism, and the second being binary oppositions. So logocentrism is the idea that the meaning of a word is fixed or rooted in an external reality you know we get um we get the word word from the greek word logos so Mm -hmm. logos centrism word central we know that as christians the the word of god is the center of our christian faith but what Derrida was saying is it there is no fixed reality that, that words derive their meaning from. Words are just words. So again. is he saying then that like words can just mean a bunch of different things? For sure. Why are we having such a hard time defining deconstruction? Yeah. Because we live in a culture that is constantly defining their own terms and living their own truth. And and that's a byproduct of Derrida.
1: Yeah. And taking words that meant one thing in one decade means a totally different thing in this decade. Yeah. Absolutely. Like gay.
2: Absolutely. Um, you, you talked about this earlier bev it's it's linguistic theft yes it's, I can co-opt these words mm-hmm. and redefine them to to suit whatever reality mm-hmm. uh, I'm living in because reality isn't fixed truth isn't fixed. well and
0: then this whole renaming thing is such a big thing like I've been studying like the history of feminism <laughs> and how they have really renamed like all of the I mean, they've renamed everything. They've renamed God. They've read like they just have renamed everything and how like impactful that is and what that does to
2: like what the original word actually means is scary. Well, think about think about the word patriarchy when I say that word. Even those of us who understand that that is a good word, we shudder a little bit. Oh, uh, 100%. Because it's been co-opted by the culture to mean something that's oppressive and abusive, not something that's instituted as part of God's design for headship and protection. Mm -hmm. So this is happening all over the place. And and it's uh, definitely a byproduct of Derrida. And then the second thing, (laughs) it's just, I mean if this is not proof that there's nothing new under the sun, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. The second thing that, that Derrida really opposed um, was binary opposition. And and Derrida argues that Western culture teaches individuals to think and to perceive the world in binaries. So there's good and evil. There's masculine, feminine. There's black, there's white. Like whatever you have, there is, there is an opposite. And so according to him, these hierarchies inevitably create uh, a system of, superior versus subordinate. So there's there's not equality in masculine and feminine. One inevitably has to be the victim and the victor, the oppressor and the oppressed. What does that sound like to you guys?
1: Oh.
0: It's Marxism. Our our, our culture. It's critical theory. Critical theory. I I was (laughs)
2: saying
0: what I hear every day on Instagram. I don't know what you guys are saying. The the world. Uh, Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So he's really piggybacking off of some of these Marxist concepts that uh, there can't be actual equality. That that somebody is always going to be the greater, and somebody is always going to be the lesser. And so he really um, he really opposed. the, the human binary, the binary existence of humanity, which, of course, we see now in the gender revolution. Yeah, I
0: was going to say, does that lead into non-binary, then I would guess? Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is like, which I don't even know. <laughs> apparently, Jesus is non-binary. So. Yeah, like no gender or whatever gender you want slash gender is different than Fluid. sexuality and all Fluid. the things. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's really confusing. Okay, thank you for explaining that. But also... I don't know if it makes me feel better that it's been a long time, or if it makes me feel more scared. Mm. Um, but that's interesting that this is not a new thing, and we see scripturally that none of this is new anyway. Yeah. So we can definitely use scripture to attack it. But what? Why would you say is Christian deconstruction like a topic right now? Like, what are the reasons that this has really just become this huge movement?
2: Man, I'm going to be very frank in my response to this, but I'm going to be frank, pointing the finger at myself first, because I was this parent. Um, Frankly, for generations, we have failed to systematically instruct our children as Scripture teaches us to. We've we've had a, a low view of Scripture, we've had low biblical literacy, and, you know, while the institution of the church that God has designed while school and books and friends these are all wonderful things they are they are not a substitute for the discourse that happens at home for the integrity that's on display at home when parents actually believe what they're teaching and so we have entire generations who um, are gobbling up this dualism of of post modernity where where facts and feelings are separate because they don't actually know their Bible. Mm -hmm. And I I share with people all the time, um, God dramatically convicted me of this. I was enjoying my children, um, but I was not training them. In the admonition of the Lord, and and in many ways, um, it was because our culture didn't demand us to provide an answer to these questions. We've lived in a in a largely um, Christian America for a long time. It's mm-hmm. it's been on our side, and and as we saw in Constantine's Rome in in the three hundreds, it multiplies laziness in the church when culture's on our side. It's just mm-hmm. a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when
0: it's like just cultural nominal Christianity, and there's no depth or living it out like that's really interesting because I would also add to that like some of the reasons for deconstruction would definitely be that would be a huge one Um, I've seen people say a lot of things like there wasn't room for them to Ask hard questions mm-hmm. or doubt, um, and that they were given really trite answers if they did, which totally makes sense. Like, if you're in a home where your parents are just cultural Christians, like, yeah. and you're asking a hard question and they're just giving you a whatever, who cares answer. Um, and God then, said
2: it, I believe it. Yeah. And there's a place for that. Yeah. But we forget that the questions have answers. And, and we're going to talk more about that later, too.
0: And that it's okay to like wrestle with hard things about God. Yeah. Like, I remember times in my life where I'm like, Predestination. I'm like really wrestling with that because that feels like a hard thing. Like, how could he? That doesn't mean like all of those things, but that actually how that can also be so faith building, yeah, and that it's okay to wrestle with these things. Um, I also have seen another thing would be, um, like abuse in the church was another reason that this has become like mm. a, mu- a movement, is people have um, just been treated horrifically by christians or by church leaders and um what that does to your perspective of god yeah um is is been really uh interesting and really hard to hear um but yeah i mean i think the reasons can also vary like depending on the person like why they
1: decide to deconstruct kind of i think too excuse me the um the social media everything is, you know, instant. And I think you you start to hear all these ideas, 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 and they kind of pound away on what you really believe. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I think we're getting a lot of ideas, but we're not looking back to where the ideas are coming from. And then we're not actually research anything we're just watching clips
2: Mm, so so
0: good i felt like that with um you know with roe v wade (laughs) overturning and just a lot of misinformation also and like i'm guilty of this because i get my news from usually like instagram or something like social media like i was watching a a whole trial the other day on tiktok (laughs) like you know i'm not actually (laughs) watching the trial in the news i'm watching it on tiktok yeah like and so we just were in this um we're getting such a short piece of like a huge puzzle yeah. and we're not looking at all the other sides. We're not wrestling with anything. We're just like, okay, well, this person said this, well, I'm going to believe it It sounds great. And that's it.
1: And And the educational system too, for um, sure, is really a hotbed of these wrong ideas and undermining uh, what is truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's been an
0: attack on basic doctrine, like basic Christian principles, like yeah. in the education system.
2: Well, and and I'm so glad that you guys layered this answer with, with these examples, because w- what we're all saying here is that in most cases, and from my own made up Ashley Kinsel statistic, I would say 99% of these cases, there is a pain point that oh, triggers the deconstruction. It's not something that you're driving down the road one day and you think, is God really real? Yeah. There is normally a, a pain point that undergirds this process. And again, because we don't know our Bibles and we have no theology of suffering, we don't know what to do with. I was abused by the church. What does God think about that? Mm-hmm. I was sexually abused by someone who said they were a Christian. What does God have to say about that? Mm-hmm. And because we give these trite answers or we don't tolerate the question at all, we begin to conflate the authority of men with the Authority of God and God's answers exist, and they are sufficient.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that you said that. That we have a lack of a theology of suffering um, because you really need that before. Well, well, I guess you don't need it before, but you're you're either going to use it before, like know it before, and then when you're in the suffering, it'll help. Or you're going to learn it. Amen. In the <laughs> suffering, and that's hard. That's too. my
1: story. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. We just recorded lamenting prayer, so oh gosh, it's on top of our head.
0: Um. Well, what are like some examples of this like in the Bible and even with Jesus of like this this deconstructing this disassembling the reasons for why people are are just walking away or just having all of these doubts and all these questions
2: well I think uh, a great example of this from scripture and I I love that I get to share about this because uh, again because words don't have meaning and because we make the Bible say what we want it to say you know there are lots of uh, wild Statements being made like Jesus was a deconstructionist and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Martin Luther was a deconstructionist. Right. And and so we try to justify these meanings. But one of the truest forms of deconstruction that we see in Scripture that that God is so compassionate to give us um, is that of Nicodemus. Uh, most of us know the story of Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee and member of the Sanhedrin, and he comes to Jesus in John 3 at night inquiring how to be saved, which would have been very radical for, mm-hmm. for him to be seen with Jesus and inquiring of Jesus and actually wanting to hear the answer, not just trying to trap him. Mm-hmm. Um and so he's asking jesus you know uh, how how can i be saved this is where we get the language of being born again this is where we get john 316 that so many of us know but it isn't the last time that we hear from nicodemus a lot of us forget that that he's present in the rest of John's gospel. So in John seven, he he actually speaks up at the trial of Jesus, trying to bring order and justice um, that should have exonerated Jesus, but he's he's shouted down by the other members of the Sanhedrin. And then in John nineteen we see him again. It's him and Joseph Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea that are actually preparing the body of Christ for his burial. Um, and he prepares him with spices that are meant for a king. And mm-hmm. So we see this beautiful picture of, of this man who was part of a, a system of truly um, uh, control and power and another gospel. And his beliefs are dismantled over the course of Jesus's ministry where he fully recognizes that Jesus is king and he's, he's the Messiah that, that I would give my life for. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think about then like... Doubt, Like I even think about like in Matthew 28, um, like the disciples, they went to Galilee and they're on the mountain that Jesus had directed them to and they're worshiping him. And it says that some doubted. It says, I think it says like some believed, but it doesn't say all. What role do you think that that plays like in the Christian faith? Like, is there, I know there's like conflicting schools of thought, like is, is doubt good? How Or how can you doubt in a way that's, Um, will build your faith
2: well I've heard people say before that um that doubt is not the opposite of belief and I think that's a fair statement I think that um doubt is is simply a byproduct of fear and Mm -hmm. and we see that manifested in the life of of John the Baptist so when we think about what are some some of the positives of of deconstruction Mm -hmm. you know um we see that, that Jesus is compassionate with our questions. This is, this is John the Baptist who, he's the cousin of Christ. Uh, as a baby in the womb, he leaps at the announcement of, of Jesus's conception. Um, this is the man who, who sees Christ coming and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet when he is about to die, when he's suffering, when he is suffering, mm-hmm. he panics, he panics. And he sends messengers to Christ to say, are you, are you, are you the one who is to come or or should I be looking for another? Mm -hmm. And in his compassionate response to him, um, Jesus quotes a prophecy from Isaiah showing that I am the one, you know, he doesn't say, how dare you ask me if I'm the one? He says, I am the one. And this is how you can know that I'm the one. And, and there is a, there is a place where our doubt and our questions can become irreverent we see that in job yeah and and god lays the smack down on like who are you like where were you yeah Yeah. so our our in our doubting um my prayer is that we'd be reverent that we would remember who god is and Mm -hmm. we would remember who Mm -hmm. we are Mm
1: -hmm. think of too how he handled thomas yes and his doubting and I've always thought, you know, you can doubt. It. That's an important process of getting to the truth. Yeah. But you don't stay there. It's a process. And if if the doubt leads you away from what God's Word says, then you're you are being deceived, and and, uh, you know, you, that is not a good thing in your life. Yeah. But the doubt, certainly, every Christian should have doubts about certain things which sends them like you said Delaney on the path to discover.
0: Well I I was just going to say too like I think when you do have a good theology and a, a, and you stand on truth and you stand on God's word it's maybe less of doubt but more of a wrestle because like I think about when I wrestled truth or wrestled with um, a couple of things like a few years ago it didn't make me question if God was good or not it made me question like all of these things that god's word was saying but i i never in my soul was like god's not good now it was more just like of a wrestling through of like how does this make sense Mm
2: -hmm.
0: more like more of that than like a i don't really think you're this anymore
2: well what is what does the man say to jesus in the gospels i believe help my unbelief Mm -hmm. you know um we act like again because we live in a dualistic culture that these two things can't live in the same place. Mm-hmm. That belief and unbelief can't live in the same that's place. Good. And it's that's just really not good, true. Ashley. It's true.
0: Well, I was just thinking about that too. Like why people might be leaving the faith also is because um they are promised something that is not that. Like they're mm. promised that you are gonna have all the answers. You're not gonna wrestle. There's there's no nuance. It's, it's there's shameful no to wrestle. Yeah, you're promised all of these things. And they're, so they're having this incorrect view of christianity of god of like you're just gonna you're just gonna always believe a hundred percent like this perfect little pew sitting christian and you're never gonna have this hard wrestle of like god why did you say this this feels
2: weird and crazy yeah you just hit the nail on the head because what is the predominant view of Christianity in the West it's the prosperity gospel Mm -hmm. so that that gospel can work in a country that has a middle class but you export that to my country of origin in the Bahamas where there is no middle class where there's extreme poverty and you're taught that if you just do all of these things God will bless you um well it
0: works till you (laughs) suffer (laughs) amen it works till you suffer amen (laughs) so that's uh that's just it right there but um okay what about then like, what does this look like for an individual and for a church? Like when an individual is going through deconstruction and when a church maybe has a lot of people that are going through deconstruction, like how do you, what
2: do we do with that? Gosh, I mean, an individual who's going through deconstruction, because I've shared with this, shared about my story so much on, on social media. I mean, I got a message from someone this morning. Mm -hmm. Um, My, my minister husband is deconstructing. What do I, what do, I do with that? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's important that we understand that the pain points that are prompting people to question and deconstruct are very real. And, yeah. and before we give them the answer, because there is an answer we have to minister to the pain point. And I can't tell you how many times when my own family went through this, and I'll share more later, um, how many times we heard things like, when are you gonna get over that? Or maybe Mm -hmm. you're the common denominator. I mean, just truly shameful Mm -hmm. things that didn't minister to the very real pain that was causing us to question Mm -hmm. and to doubt. And so um, that (laughs) breeds this thought then that not only do I not like Jesus, I definitely don't like his followers. Well, because you're not a save. You're not being safe for them to 100%. like have room to
0: doubt, have room to rest. Like, exactly. And so you're exactly. also showing them mm-hmm. that, that maybe God's not safe then either for me to come to him with these thoughts. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of what you're showing them if you respond yeah. like that.
1: Well, there's a culture of shame around questioning, a, a culture of shame around really sharing what's going on spiritually inside of us. We all want to appear like we've got it together. We believe everything. We're right on. We're doctrinally sound. And to question any of that, you know, darts start flying our way, yeah. whether by words or thoughts or whatever. But its it puts you in a very um, precarious position. Yeah, absolutely. And And, you know, how do we... What does this look
2: like for a church that that might be deconstructing? I, I think one of the things I'm just so supremely blessed by being part of grace is I think we've identified that there's like a new nucleus of people that have come to grace who are going, I am embarrassed to say that I don't understand justification mm-hmm. or I don't understand the process of sanctification or I don't understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Can you answer that for me? And instead of having an environment where we all pretend like we have it all together, we create environments where people can feel like they can ask what they consider to be a dumb question Mm -hmm. and and then find unity that, oh my gosh, I, I had the same question. I know for me, I've had a pastor's wife my entire marriage and the Lord, I believe, truly saved me within the last seven years. And so there were so many times where I didn't want to ask a question because I felt like an imposter.
1: Mm, or yeah. a fraud. You you had that pressure that you had to have the answers yes. because you were a pastor's wife. right? And that's a very lonely, isolating place to
2: be. Yeah. And so when we grow up in what people call the Christian tradition, like when you grow up in a Christian home and your faith is not your own, it's your family's, you know, you're afraid to ask those questions. And then we reproduce that same environment in our churches. And so I think the word Delaney is, is what you said, being safe. Being safe on an individual basis, being safe on a church wide basis, so that people understand they're not inherently bad for going through this process.
0: And then, not assuming that, like, if you have a robust theology, not assuming that everybody is at that place. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, like, you just throw words around. Like we were talking about lamenting the other day. I'm. But someone might not know what that means. And so what you're also doing is you're just assuming that everyone might be on the same level of understanding as you and how marginalizing that can be yeah. instead of just like acting and like just explaining or just, um, yeah, being safe for them to feel like they can talk about it. it. Like
1: it's being exclusive. Yeah. Which creates an environment where it's not OK.
0: Well, I think our Christian ease can be a little bit like that. Like people come into the church that are new believers and it's like, I feel like I'm having to explain everything that I'm saying, but really that makes sense because why would they know what I'm saying? Like we use all of these words and just, yeah, yeah, it can just be really marginalizing. But I feel like this might be a good place to bring up when churches deconstruct, where, Mm. what does that, what does that look like? Where do they go maybe? And how does it happen? How does it happen mm -hmm. where a
1: whole church will um, stop following, you know, uh, orthodox yeah. Christianity? What happens? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we all had a front row seat to this during
2: COVID because every issue that you could imagine came to the surface. What do, we be- what do we believe about race? What do we believe about power? What do we believe about women? What do we believe about gender and sexuality? I mean, mm-hmm. all of those things are still very much in our face. And so there's a couple of things that um, – That I think play into this. Uh, Number one, we have an epidemic of rock star pastors instead of pastors who fear the word of God. Yeah. They're not like shepherding. They would be really good Christian influencers. Yeah. They're fantastic Mm -hmm. at a Ted talk, but they don't know the word. Yeah. And so their word becomes malleable based on the demands of the culture. And Mm -hmm. that is not the call of a pastor shepherd you know, uh, with my children, there are so many things they fight me on and buck me on that I know are good for them. That is the role of a pastor shepherd, because that's what God is doing to him. And he is accountable for his sheep. Um, And and we've created uh, tickling ears, you know, itching ears that, uh, man, how do I I keep filling these seats? How do I keep, you know, increasing these numbers? Um, I think the other problem that we're seeing is we don't believe in the sufficiency of scripture. And I'll tell you what I I personally believe is one of the biggest entry points is allegorizing Genesis. Everyone that I watch closely who begins to tout this language that Genesis is not literal, that it's allegory or that it's myth or it's figurative, whatever you want to say. If you believe that, then you have no solid basis for your biblical worldview, which means you can absolutely pivot in your beliefs on race, your beliefs on men and women in the church, your beliefs on gender and sexuality. And so when we begin to mess with God's word and say, this is open for interpretation when it absolutely is not, all of these other things are going to be smuggled in. They have to be because now we've left ourselves defenseless.
0: Mm-hmm. So with that then, another word that we had brought up earlier briefly was progressive Christianity would you say that that is where that could potentially lead you to is into like this progressive quote air quotes around Christian
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know I (laughs) I shudder a little
1: bit every time I hear that and I don't like the use of progressive Mm, yeah because it implies that we're we're left in the dust and old-fashioned oh for sure well we're not as enlightened and I'll, I'll
2: tell you why it's called progressive so the worldview of progressive Christianity um, you have uh, theists, which we would be, people who believe um, that, that there is a, a creator who has created everything and that he is separate from his creation. You have pantheism, which is, you know, God is creation, creation is God. But progressives believe in something called panentheism. So kind of like like God is the soul and the universe is his body. And so he evolves with his creation, his creation evolves with him, and thus the revelation progresses. And so this is why the the Bible then has to be allegorized, because if we believe this is fixed, this determines what we believe once and for all. We we have to submit ourselves to it because it comes from the divine creator. But if we believe we ourselves are divine and that as we are enlightened, he is enlightened and vice versa, Mm -hmm. well, now we're right back to um, Jacques Derrida's thoughts. Yeah.
0: Well, it shows you that progressive Christianity avoids absolutes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lack of sacredness around God and his word. Um, there's major attacks to redefine, reinterpret, reject any kind of biblical culture or honestly Christian history. Um Everything that like I remember learning in school, that the Bible's a narrate, that it was inspired, they would attack all of that. Right. You would elevate um, your personal experience, choice, beliefs above truth. I also read that you would also elevate action over belief, which I thought was very interesting. <laughs> Social be- justice. Well, it, it is. It's progressive. It's the progressive gospel plus the progressive gospel would be... Um, Jesus plus social justice. Yeah, absolutely. R- really. Um, but there's, um, it's interesting because like Romans 1 is all about that your belief informs your behavior. Like what you believe about God will inform like what you do. But they would say the opposite, that your actions is more important than what you actually feel. Like who cares how you got to this point as long as you're like doing these good works and these you're good doing things the in the world. Um, so I think that, that that's interesting that you brought it up. But, and then they also are usually pretty, um, social they're very like into social justice but
1: yet they don't believe in any kind of judgment
0: like there's Which, no hell there's no the heart judgment of justice? there's no wrath like nothing and
1: who's to say what's just or not right
2: well and it's it's very interesting i had this conversation with some people online talking about roe v wade you know you can't you can't say that God has condemned taking the lives of others because he himself takes the lives of the Egyptian firstborn in in the Exodus narrative. Mm -hmm. And I had this conversation with a young woman. I said, yeah, after Moses warned Pharaoh six times, Mm -hmm. after he sent nine plagues, reminding them, I'm not kidding, I'm not joking around, after they murdered the children of the Israelites. So we say your God is not just, and we want justice, and then he gives us justice, and we go, that's not just. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know what we want. Mm-hmm. We, we just don't want to submit to God is, is really the truth behind that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's, a, that's a key point. Yeah. We don't want to be humbled. We don't want to submit all the things. Um,
1: what, is our, what is the next question that you well, would have, Beth? I, I think that we can ask a couple of these together, if you don't mind, Ash. Yeah. Can this deconstruction be done without losing your faith? Because that seems to be key. We, do we have to leave enough room for deconstruction within the church, and yet we don't want to lead people down the path to denying their faith? And also, maybe this would be a good time for you to include any personal examples you have of yeah. Christian deconstruction.
2: So it's it's my pleasure to just testify to the glory of God that can this be done without losing your faith? Yes, and mm-hmm. my family is, is an example of that. You know, my my husband was... was pushed out of a, a job that he loved and where he was loved and was leading worship for 10,000 people for four days a week. And um, we were pregnant with our, our third unexpectedly and had just bought a house and our life turned upside down in an instance. And it didn't stop there. You know, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with with breast cancer. We had some deep family secrets revealed. Um, one of our children was going through life-threatening health crises. And, and my husband just got to a place where he was like, I don't know if I believe this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, that is a peculiar place to be in as a pastor's wife, where moments before you're getting up to lead worship beside your husband, he's like, ah, who can know? And then mm-hmm. you're about to go sing for people and tell them, you can
1: know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that would be like anxiety, a lot of anxiety. But oh, it goes for back sure. to your point that you've said several times already, go back to the pain.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Pain is what precipitated that moment because my husband and I are wired very differently. I, like I said, I am wired for works and and he is uh, naturally a skeptic. So where I would be someone who would be full of faith and would be that person who's like, God said it, I believe it. And maybe not question more like a typical firstborn. Um, Justin is more cerebral in his thinking. And so he's like, I have questions he needs and answers. I want answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that terrified me because I, I I did not grow up questioning and I didn't feel that questioning was allowed. Um, I don't know if that yeah. was taught to me or if we I just feel picked like that it's
0: up. a lack of faith.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. A good a good girl would not doubt no. her faith, mm-hmm. right? There's and I shame. wanted to be the good girl. Yeah. Yep. Um, so my husband. <laughs> he became obsessed with this idea of okay if scripture is true the bible says that there will be people who teach false gospels to come against it so then what is true and what is a false gospel mm-hmm. and so he became obsessed with listening to all kinds of teachers. He read the Quran. He read um, the Book of Mormon. He would listen to every kind of prosperity or progressive teacher and just try to like figure all these things out, very much like a Lee Strobel kind of journey. And in mm-hmm. fact, it was the case for Christ that he read uh, and was overwhelmed by the evidence for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Lord began to draw him and he became hungry for God's word. And I, I think... I think what made a key difference is Justin didn't presuppose that I don't believe in God anymore and then created confirmation bias on his journey. I think that's a really important thing for people who are deconstructing. If you already are coming to the table with a fixed belief that God is not real, it's going to be very hard for you to reassemble your Christian faith. Mm -hmm. But if you're doubting if God is real. And your heart is postured towards. I want to know what's true, not what's been taught to me, not what's been told to me, but what is true. The Holy Spirit can can work in that. He can work regardless, but it's a much more fertile ground than someone who is presupposing there is no God.
1: <clears throat> There's nothing to deconstruct, right? If yeah. if you do not believe, right? But if if you've been walking as a Christian and thought you believed, and then you have this crisis of faith, yeah, that's true honest deconstruction and not looking for excuses not to believe or to do your own thing yeah taking responsibility for your own
2: faith that's such a key part of how we respond in suffering because there are people that we are victims of but we are still responsible for how we respond and what Mm -hmm. we do with that absolutely yeah
0: what what then was when Justin's going through this journey what was that like for you like personally in your faith? Like what did that, what was that like?
2: You know, at first it really um, spurred me on in my faith. Um, I can remember he was just so negative all the time. And so I was like, (laughs) my counselor was giving me the advice that, you know, hey, we need to rewire your brain for gratitude because you're kind of getting in this negative place too. And, you know, if you write three positive things down a day, it's going to help you rewire. Do you think
0: that that works? <laughs> because I I lean a little bit towards that actually might be more harmful because it's not dealing with the pain that's underneath. Well, that's what started to happen.
2: And and what it started to do was, you know what I was thankful for? Me. I was thankful for me. Look mm-hmm. at me. Look at how, you know, consistent I'm being and and supportive I am and dependable and I'm taking care of these kids and what it actually did was it 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 made me arrogant. And that's what happened in this process. The Lord is answering my feeble prayer to bring my husband back to faith, but my heart has grown very, very hard mm-hmm. in the process. And so, do you
1: think that was fear based? Oh uh, well, again, uh, what's my favorite were, attribute? You, Sufficient. Yeah. Well, <laughs> was, and you fear, you fear um, following him for sure. I mean, he's your leader for I could sure. See how that would happen. That would greatly influence you. So you either go with him, or you develop walls and and put in safeguards and yeah. thoughts and think thinking that would protect you. Well, and then, to be frank, I was in a church
2: at the time that. Um, didn't teach headship that in some ways was grooming me to become my own worship pastor and I did not have a, a solid understanding of you know God's word on that subject and so I was like that sounds great to me because you know I'll I will do it I, I trust <laughs> trust me more <laughs> than <laughs> you you yeah. know and so it was um I I tell people I would love to say that that Christ answered my prayer and I was like yay we're happy now but I I had my own journey to, to walk through after that. I had my own deconstruction that I had to do that, that God used suffering to initiate. How was like your deconstruction process different than his? Oh, well, Justin's was, his was longer and far more academic than mine. Uh, For me, my, my deconstruction process happened uh, pretty instantly. Um, and it was, yeah, like I've shared here before, um, when our, at the time, four-year-old daughter almost died, um, I, I just, there was nothing. I had no control. I had no control over my circumstances, and um, I had to quickly decide what I believed about God um, because I was so traumatized already from the experience. Yeah. It was like, all right, if my child died. Like, I really believed after walking my best friend through that experience, like, if my daughter dies, I'm I'm going to die with her. I yeah. know I have three other kids, but I can't even think about them. Like, yeah. I am gone if she's gone. And if she lives, I'm so broken. I don't know how to get out of here, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was pretty instant that the the Holy Spirit met mm-hmm. me in that moment and, and um, reminded me that the fact that I hadn't fully abandoned my faith was evidence of me being in Christ. Yeah. That that was the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. persevering in me and it helped me understand for the first time, whoa, I don't bring anything to the table. Mm-hmm. My works are quite literally by grace through the Holy Spirit and and an offering unto the Lord and everything I've done up until this point is filth.
0: Well, and it shows you that in suffering we don't need my truth relativism we need truth that is true whether we believe it or
1: not amen like because yeah, the belief that, doesn't change the truth but in and that
0: in that moment though exactly because you might not believe it but you need it to be true anyway and that matters it matters that god is good even if i don't believe it
2: right it does matter because people you know people don't know what to say when your child is dying like they they mm-hmm. don't know what to say and so many people B- because they didn't know what to say they'd go she's gonna be okay and I can remember looking at them and going you don't maybe <laughs> not you don't know that who yeah. do you think you are yeah, yeah little
1: gods sometimes we play the little god yeah don't we? and so
2: okay that was that was true for them but that was not rooted in the external reality that my daughter might not make mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah and and the truth is the law of God is written on our hearts we are created in his image and so as enlightened and sophisticated as we act about these things, we know there's an external truth because we feel it the most in suffering. Mm-hmm.
0: What did it, a, a, amen, <laughs> sister friend. Yeah. Um, what did it look like for you and Justin to come out of this deconstruction? Obviously, we know that you guys
2: um, are still believers and yeah. you did not
0: leave the faith. Praise God. <laughs> um, but what was that? What did that look like
2: coming out of that? You know, the Lord was faithful to have us in uh, a second campus of Justin's home church that had like 150 people. I mean, it was very, very intimate. And, and those people were heaven on earth to us. They really modeled what it meant to be part of the body of Christ. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, it was, it was one of the most precious times of my life. And so being around people that authentically believed the Christian faith and it impacted the way that they lived was huge for me. Having a, uh, a mentor like my mother-in-law, who continued to speak hard truths, you know, who continued to say hard things like, "Hey, God answered your prayer and gave you the husband that you've prayed for. Um, let him lead. Mm-hmm. Like your behavior is emasculating because you're afraid. Like let go, trust him, trust God. You know, a woman who has <laughs> lived this out and and could speak on that with authority. Um, it looks like constantly." having to practice humility because there were a lot, there, there was just a bag of doctrines I had picked up along the way that weren't biblical.
1: Mm-hmm. So how would you say a church should really handle this whole thought of deconstruction? Is it something you want to embrace, encourage, discourage? How should the church be handling this?
2: That's, you know, there's something that feels, um, that feels, scary about saying the church should encourage people <laughs> deconstruct. to
0: deconstruct, <laughs> <Everyone> <laughs> right? Because we yeah. have
2: such negative connotations about that word. The truth is we don't, um, we don't necessarily need to encourage people like it's happening with mm-hmm. or without our permission. Mm-hmm. So the question is, <laughs> That's uh, good. you know, True. do, do we have the answers to the questions that they're asking? So again, one of the things I, I love about our church is Pastor Troy has his pulse on the culture. What's attacking our culture right now? There's there's a Luther quote that I, I'm going to summarize because, you know, if you know me, I butcher quotes all the time. <laughs> but he basically says, like, if we proclaim Christ all the time, except at the very point in which the culture is attacking, then we're not actually boldly proclaiming Christ. And so, we have to know what is our culture attacking right now, and are we going to engage that biblically? Like, Right now, the biggest issue in our culture this, these past two weeks has been, what do we believe about life? Do we believe that life begins at conception? Do we believe that there are exceptions in rape or incest? Do we believe that miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy are all part of that? These are the questions the culture is asking. And if we're silent on that, we are culpable in people deconstructing into progressive Christianity or atheism instead of helping them, like you said, Delaney, reconstruct to biblical Christianity. So we have to, as a church in every area of our ministry, know what are the pain points of the culture and what does the Bible say about that?
0: Yeah, and I think it's good that you said, we don't need to encourage people to deconstruct, but we should encourage people to ask questions and to wrestle and to doubt and we should encourage people who maybe aren't in that place to wrestle with them yeah like when people ask hard questions don't just give like a band-aid response like if you don't know say you don't know and like let's figure it out like god's word has the answer we at least know that we at least know where to find the answer even if we don't know it like in that moment but just like wrestling with people and not just giving blanket response. We just need to be patient. We yeah. need to be patient in our faith, patient in how we are dealing with other people and what they're wrestling with.
1: Yeah. I think to teaching the word of God, Amen. being faithful to teaching and to educating people in what is true and what is not. There yeah. is a black and a white. There, Absolutely. Is. there is. It and is binary. in God's word. Yes, it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's in God's word. Yeah. And we have to be an educating function of the the body of Christ. We have to educate. We have to help them get over whatever is causing them to ask those hard questions or to look at their faith and wonder, "What is it? What is it?" Right. Um, and if we don't have a compassionate re- um, response, that too can be very harmful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If we if we look at them in judgment or a critical spirit or just it. it, it Brings up our own fears. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we have to handle it in a pastoral way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and it just shows you, too. I love what you said that we need to continue preaching and believing God's word because the truths of the Bible aren't progressive, they're eternal. (laughs) They don't change. Like, and so that should give us comfort of like, even if we're wrestling through these things, that these are eternal truths, things that we can cling to, that we can hold on to. We don't need to believe them in that moment, but they're going to be true anyway. And so that should also give us comfort, like even as we're interacting with people who are in that space, that God's word is eternal. It's been around for a long time. There's power in God's word. And so we can use, we need to use that.
2: There's something that you said that is so important. I'm so glad that you said this because our culture has created the separation between you know fact and feeling often what we will do and i found myself in this position um when justin and i were in the middle of deconstructing like well i don't feel respect for him in this moment why should i respect him Mm -hmm. um and and one of the things that my counselor helped me understand is like you know you know what what kind of marriage you're working towards. And so you practice these things until they're true. We don't like to have that conversation when it comes to our faith. We don't like to acknowledge that, you know what? I don't always feel like the spiritual disciplines I'm engaging Mm -hmm. are true. There are days in prayer or in studying God's word where I'm like, I don't like this. I'm having a hard time with this one, you know, but we keep rooted. We keep abiding in God's word, trusting that, um, what we do that is uh inorganic produces organic feelings of of joy right. and peace the fruit of the spirit truth is to be the
1: locomotive yeah. our emotions are the caboose yes. but, but we're so run by our emotions and yeah. our own thinking we think that our thinking is truth always and that's so not true <laughs> because a lot of times we believe lies absolutely and we tell ourselves lies all the time if just about everything but our enemy it can is be the about father of lies, faith as well. So, how you've started on this topic. So, how would you really encourage anyone who has some false beliefs? They want to work through them. They're wondering if they are going through a de- deconstruction process. And how would you just give them a, a couple of words here to encourage? And if you are walking through a, a period of
2: deconstruction right now, one of the things that that I want to encourage you with is, um, it's normal. It's, it's normal to get to a point in your Christian faith where you go, okay, um, <laughs> I don't care what my parents believe. I don't care what, what my church believes. I care what God's word says. And so I would encourage you um, to remember that God's word is sufficient. God's word can be trusted. God's word can stand up to the toughest scrutiny. You can find your answers in God's word. Um, but pray, this is one of the most important prayers that someone gave me, and it was all I could pray for for years, was just, Holy Spirit, help me believe what is true. And mm-hmm. so now that's what we do with our kids at the end of every prayer. Holy Spirit, help me believe what is true, and give me the power to obey it. Recognizing that, that the revelation of truth can only come through the Spirit, and the ability to obey it can only come through the Spirit. And so be careful who you surround yourself with, um, do the work. Ask the questions, investigate, um, but also uh, make sure that the people you're doing this with don't have an agenda. Yeah, you know, um, we're not the only ones who evangelize. Mm-hmm. We got to remember that we're not the only ones recruiting. Yeah, <laughs> for our faith. Yeah, yeah. Which hopefully you go
0: to a church where you're safe to do that. Yeah. I would even add, test it, <laughs> test God's test word. Test it, amen. Like it's going to stand up. Like if you look at the way the Bible was written, like if you're going to look look it up, research it, like test it.
1: It'll, it'll come out every time like truth. But you have to want to be, have to be an honest seeker. Mm -hmm. Amen. And you got to ask yourself, am I an honest seeker or am I looking for loopholes? Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to a friend the other day that was looking for a
0: loophole about sex before marriage and she researched it online. And so she found it. Yeah. Even though God's word doesn't say that, but she found it online. So she believed it and just When we're not looking at it in God's word for ourselves, we're just listening to these people, just how damaging that that can be.
2: It's funny. I used to work in health and wellness and you get all these objections from people of like, well, I hear that this, this and this and this and this. And right. It's always people eating Cheetos and drinking Mountain Dew that tell you you shouldn't do things that are healthy. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one time I got so sick of of this kind of response. I posted an article about how water can kill you. And so the idea being is if I want to find the information, I'm going to find it, Mm -hmm. you know, like I can make data say whatever I want it to say. And I used to work, I used to work in pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. clinical research. And so I, I am acquainted with how you can structure research to confirm what you want your abstract to be, you know, um, so we have to we have to be careful that, like we talked about p- before, um, that we're going on an honest, truth seeking journey. That we haven't pre decided what is true, mm-hmm. and now we're just trying to find the people who will tell us that we're right because we've put our our feelings above truth.
0: Mm-hmm. Dang, there's lots of lots of zingers in this one, man. Oh,
1: it's, it's good stuff. De- I mean, we yeah. need real answers to this. It's it's, epidem- it's an epidemic it is. in the Christian faith. We have people, young especially, walking away from the faith because it doesn't coincide with what the society is teaching them yeah. and telling them what's true. And so we're in a battle here. Yeah, and We need these big words. We need all this knowledge. Yeah. Ashley and I so appreciate you coming in armed with this information for us so that we can speak and respond intelligently to this. Yeah,
2: and, you know, Bev, you and I talked about this on- offline. Um uh, you know, the the message to the person who is working through these beliefs, like the historicity of the Bible is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like from from geography to archaeology to prophecy to documentation to textual criticism, there is no other faith that has evidence like the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's just a truth. Um, and so. Your answers have questions. But I also want to say this to people who are not deconstructing, mm-hmm. but maybe are loving someone who is walking through deconstruction. Um, by the authority of scripture, get your head out of the sand. Engage this moment. Yeah. Um, we are terrified of the culture. We're terrified. And and so Bev and I were having this conversation. Um, I, I talk with so many parents who are overwhelmed and they don't know where to begin and and. They they're completely disconnected from social media because, you know, we've got this war of the generations where social media is bad and I don't wanna have anything to do with it, and then social media is life and I get my news from social media, you know.
0: Oh yeah. Totally. And,
2: And so if you go on TikTok, for example, and you look up hashtag deconstruction, hashtag exvangelical, you're gonna see who's pastoring your children right now. Oh yeah. And you need to know. You need to know what these people are saying. You need to know what their arguments are. And so, um, like you said earlier, Bev, like we need to know God's word, and knowing God's word is going to help us understand um, the ways that Satan is manipulating his word through these, these kinds of preachers. You know, one of the things that I, I heard on TikTok recently is that, um, you know, Jesus is non-binary because he was born of a virgin. I'm like, what? Nice. <laughs> what? That's and, it. <laughs> and, and that sounds enlightened. Mm-hmm again, if you, if you don't know God's word, if you're mm-hmm. unable to engage that argument. So, man, get your head out of the sand and recognize that the, the literal souls of people that we love or don't know but love because God compels us to depend on us understanding w- where we need to meet the culture right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's... That's a word. Honestly, thank you so much for coming on here. Oh, I was um, so excited about this one. You, you are definitely a voice that we look to as someone who is fearless in the generation who will speak about yes. hard things. I know you receive hate, but just so Ooh. you know, you got a band of sisters that are like, go, go for say it, girl. It. You do go it. For it. We, we really appreciate like <laughs> we do just your your authenticity, how much you love truth, and how much you're just really not scared to
2: say it. Mm, well, I mean, I, I have been saved. I have literally been saved and it's changed my life. And mm-hmm. now I'm, you know, by God's grace, every day walking in the fear of God rather than the fear of man. And Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says that that is
1: safe. Mm-hmm. And so you're safe. I am safe. Secure. Yeah. Amen. Will you just pray over us, Beth? I will. Heavenly Father, we just are so appreciative of this medium that we can come to you, that we can talk about your truth, that we can meet together and educate. And Lord, fight the fight that you've called us to fight of the culture that is going away from you and denying truth. Lord, help us to be good warriors. (laughs) I remember from my childhood, Lord, onward Christian soldiers. And so help us to be soldiers with our children, our grandchildren, to speak the truth in love, to continue to grow ourselves. And Lord, when we're confronted with deconstruction, either for ourselves or a loved one who is really questioning. May we be wise in how we counsel them. May we love them and be pastoral, and yet not um, shame them in any way, but mm-hmm. rather, Lord, come alongside of them and help them to discover truth. And if, if they are not receptive, pray, pray, pray. Help us to be women who are praying, praying for those who are in this risky spot in their faith right now, Lord. They feel like they're on shaky ground. Would you show us what we need to be praying, what we can do, and that the Holy Spirit would be at work in that person's life right now if that is you, listener, that if you are in that shaky ground with your faith, questioning. I pray, Father, that you'd bring the right people, the right circumstances, that God's Word would come alive to that person that they would get good Christian, solid books, recommendations from Christians they might admire, that they wouldn't go through it alone, that the community would come alongside, and not in fear, but in boldness and love. So, Father, thank you for this time with Ashley. Thank you for the important truth that we've discussed, and may it make a difference in the kingdom for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, it was great to be with you, sisters. Join us in two Mondays on She is Becoming.